This morning we're going to begin a series called The Heart of a Disciple. As we do, um, I'd like to talk to you real simply this morning about a heart of worship. And the next week we're going to talk um, just about a heart of hope um, and how uh, those who are part of the church, uh, that, that we are to be people of hope and, and why that is. And we're going to look at that. It's, it's really uh, it'll be interesting as we look at that next week. And then uh, Father's Day, uh, to close out our, our short little series, we've invited Coleman Ford to join us. Um, and so uh, excited about that, to have Coleman and Alex and their little girl with us that morning and asked him to come teach for us that day. Um, it'd be good to welcome, welcome him back for uh, that morning. Um, this morning, as, as we look at this text, I, I want us to think about, has there ever been just that, that time in your life, maybe it's just etched in your mind, it's, it's that shocking experience, and, and you know it, or maybe it's a couple of incidents where it's, it's shocking news came, and, and maybe you got that phone call, or, or was that experience? My, my twin brother and I are kind of those, those shocking uh, elements that God used in my mom and dad's life. They had had... Uh, Two beautiful daughters uh, who are 9 and 11 years older than me, and then all of a sudden uh, they got the news that, oh, wow, we're going to have uh, a child, and not just one child, but, oh, two. So it's kind of some kind of shocking news to, to my mom and dad um, just to wake up, and ended up being amazing news and exciting news, uh, and then we'd shock them every day for a long time. Uh, <laughs> Till, uh, till even today, probably. But anyway, um, you, you know that news, news that, that shocks us, amazes us. Um, if you look at the text this morning, um, we see shocking elements. In fact, Jesus, what he does in this text is he just raises the amazement level one degree after another through this text. And what I love about this, we're going to see five, I think, elements of, of shock and awe, you could say. Uh, five elements of, of really uh, amazement in this text, showing us really how amazing Jesus is. Um, and he closes with our response to that amazement, um, our response to, to an amazing God and, and what that should be and what that should look like. And so this morning, I want us to kind of walk through this text, uh, a familiar to one to many of us. We've heard it taught before, maybe in churches. We've taught it uh, maybe to children uh, or maybe in a class before. But as we look at this text, some of the background here is Jesus um, is with his disciples. They've been baptizing in Judea. The disciples have. And Jesus and the disciples are, are leaving Judea. They're on their way to now Galilee. And as they're headed back, they, they pass through Samaria. Um, now, now, some travelers would go around Samaria, but they pass through Samaria to this town called Sychar. And there in Sychar is, is a well. It's called Jacob's Well. And, and they find themselves at, the, at this well, and, and Jesus will sit down there while his disciples go get some food. And, and so Jesus, it says about Jesus that he was weary from his travels in verse 6. And so what I love about the, the book, and we're going to see it a couple times today, uh, that John writes this letter, is he tells us that, that God, that, that, that Jesus is 100% God, he is fully God, that's one of John's missions in writing, and, and then also this, that he is fully man, that, that he is two natures at one time, and that should blow us away, 
And that's who Jesus is. And so as he travels, as he takes this trip from uh, Judea to Galilee, and here he finds himself in Samaria before he gets to Galilee, he is weary. He's hungry. He, he's thirsty. He's just like you and I if we went on a long trip and a long journey. I mean, think about our travels sometimes. We're in a car, right? And if we get three or four hours, for some of us, we've got to do that pit stop, right? And that pit stop's got to include... Um, you know, a, a grande latte or something like that to keep us going, <laughs> right? And, and so Jesus is weary, and, and he plops down here, he stops down here, and he sits down at the well, and that's where we find the story begin. Look at verse 7, and we'll read uh, through verse 9, but look what it says. It says, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and she said, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? Since I'm a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, now right off the bat here, we too see two shocking elements. And you, you can probably guess them right away. The, the first one is here we find Jesus talking to a woman. Now back then, in a public setting, here's a woman all by herself. It was not custom for uh, a man to talk to a woman. Uh, it was very much something that was not done. And so here, this is very shocking. Very shocking. So much so that the disciples are going to bring it up uh, later in this chapter. As they find Jesus, who has just talked to this woman. And so it's very shocking. Not only that, it's the fact that she's a Samaritan. That's even more shocking. Because Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. In fact, they've hated each other for centuries. It goes all the way back to 1 Kings chapter 16 with, with King Amri when, when Samaritan was, was built up by him. And as you follow the trail of the Samaritan story, you go to the Assyrians back in 722 BC and you find this, this group of people who are deported uh, out of Israel and other people who are imported into uh, Israel and, and they are Gentiles. And they intermingle, intermarry with, with Jews. And as a result, you have what we have today called Samaritans. Uh, some call them half-breeds. They're half-Jew, half-Gentile. And what they brought into the Jewish way of, of life and, and religion was, was pagan practices. Uh, where they would worship other gods and they would mingle that in with, with Judaism. And so you had the Samaritans. And what you had developing was hate. Centuries and centuries of hate, generations of hate based on race. Why did the Jews hate the Samaritans? Well, the Samaritans believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, but they did not hold the belief to the rest of the Old Testament whatsoever. And we're gonna find that come up in just a few minutes as well as Jesus is gonna even address their knowledge of who he is. Um, but the Samaritans were hated by the Jews because of their race. Because, because of how they viewed the Jewish religion and, and their mingling of paganism into it. If you follow the Old Testament, uh, Nehemiah, his, his greatest enemies were the Samaritans. They were the ones who were trying to resist the rebuilding of the wall. And so the hate continues. And so here we see in John 4, Jesus entering in and dealing with a very sensitive topic, a very sensitive issue of racial tension in that day that were centuries and centuries built upon each other. And he enters in and he hits it head on with grace and with compassion. But it's very shocking. 
And he talks with this woman, talks with this Samaritan. Look what happens next in verse 10 as we follow along. It says, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water, she asked. You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle as well. This is interesting here, another shocking element here. The third shocking thing we see here, it seems real simple, but what does Jesus not have? He didn't have a bucket, he didn't have a pail, he didn't have anything to draw water with. And, and so here he finds himself at this well. And he says here, hey listen, I, I can give you living water. I can give you living water, but he had nothing to, to draw the well with. So it's a very shocking thing that, that what he says next, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked me and he would have given you living water. Now Jesus is talking about the physical, right? He moves from the physical and now he enters into the spiritual. What a great example for you and I, as we talk with people, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's in the neighborhood, how God can take a, a simple conversation about the daily things of life, something as, as simple as water and going to a water well, and how we can take that conversation and turn it into a spiritual one. This was interesting yesterday. I had not planned on this. It was definitely uh, God's doing, and, and, and it didn't go too far, but God taught me something yesterday, something real simple, um, and, and I just thought of it last night when I got home, and uh, we had gone to a, a party yesterday, a pool party with some um, uh, people from uh, Grace's volleyball team, and we were hanging out and, and eating, and, and there was soccer on the TV, and so whenever soccer's going on, usually my eyes kind of draw to that. And so I, I was watching it, and, and a gentleman who happened to uh, live in that house, own that house, he looked at me, and he says, oh, you, you like soccer? And I was like, do I like soccer? Yeah. And so we started talking. We started talking about soccer. What's cool about it, he played college soccer. And we started talking about uh, rival schools. And actually, he, he was six years older than me, but the school that I played with my freshman year and that he got to play with in college, we actually play against each other, we, we never got to. But we started talking, it was very interesting, part two of that conversation, a little bit later, ended up turning to, to the spiritual. Um, not necessarily was I going for it, but, but he went there and, and we started engaging in it, but I thought, man, how interesting God does that. How, how he can take similar likes or, or similar common things to us and eventually turn it into the spiritual. And that's what he wants to do. That's what Jesus does here. He talks about this water. And he says, hey, listen, I can give you living water. Living water. Now, what is that living water, this, this gift? It's a gift. Eternal life. It's eternal life. Life that, that is found in, in Christ alone, that, that he can give it alone. That's what he can give. And so he tells this woman this day, you could have this gift, this gift of living water. But then he says, she says to her, are, are, are you greater than Jacob? Now, why is this so significant is this, is, is this water well right here that, that, that Jacob, uh, is called Jacob's well, it was 
was Jacob's well. He would uh, drink of it. His cattle would drink of it. Uh, it, and it's a big deal. It, it's, it's been around forever, still around today. It's 75 feet deep. It's a big well. It's a popular well. It's a significant place. And so she says, hey, hey, surely you, you couldn't be greater than, than Jacob. And, and so she's blown away here because she's like, hey, listen, th- this well does enough for me. It gives me water. It was good enough for Jacob. It's good enough for me. You're saying you have better water than this? And, and so she's not on the same wavelength with Jesus, is she? She, she's not there yet, and she's trying to understand, what's your angle here? What, what are you after? You have no bucket, but yet you're telling me you have this gift of living water. So she's not quite there yet, but look at verse 13 as it continues. Another shocking thing that we find with Jesus. Jesus answered and said to this woman, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, talking about the physical. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman replied to Jesus and said, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. So what's the fourth shocking thing that we find here is Jesus can give water, this living water that will cause us to never thirst again, never thirst again. Now this lady is like, man, that would be awesome. That'd be awesome. Some of us in here are like, and that would be awesome because I don't like the taste of water. Uh, If I could just drink coffee or Coke or just the choice or Mountain Dew or Red Bulls or whatever, like some of the guys up here said this morning, I'd love that. I'd love to just do away with the whole water thing, right? She'd love to, to be able not to have to go to that well and walk to it. But obviously Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about our souls, right? That our souls and our hearts, they thirst, they long after something, something greater. And Jesus says, hey, I can give you a water. I can give you living water that will cause your soul, your heart, to never thirst again to quench the thirst inside of you. Because we're going to find out later that this lady was trying to fill the thirst of her soul, the quench of her life with so many different things, so many different types of affection, so many different types of different kinds of loves, and just trying to go after this and trying to go after that. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I have what can truly quench the thirst and hunger and desire of your soul. I have that so that you will never thirst again. Listen to what happens in verse 16. He continues, and he said to her, go call your husband and come here. It's quite quite shocking, but if you go back up to to verse 15, it's a very interesting statement by Jesus. Because this lady just said, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. Because this lady is having to come by herself to draw. And so listen to what Jesus says, go get your husband. Because that's what was common back then. Your husband would would come with you or or others would come with you to help you. But he does more than just a very practical statement here. He is hitting a chord with this lady. He's hitting a wound with her. And listen to what he says next as he says in verse 16, go call your husband, come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. 
And the woman says to Jesus, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I think the fifth and, and final shocking thing that we see here is that only Jesus is talking to a woman. She's, she's a Samaritan woman. But she's also what, what many label as, as a harlot. Okay, uh, Some will say a, a whore of the day. And that this lady, whatever the reasons are, um, has been married multiple times. Um, could be divorces, could be, be deaths, but whatever the reason is that there's a cord that is, is touched here. And obviously a level of immorality, a, a level of, of unclean living, a level of disobedience to the law of God is definitely going on. And, and so Jesus touches that. Jesus hits that wound. Isn't it amazing what Jesus does? I mean, that's where he, he goes, is, is he will touch the wounds of our lives to, to reveal to us what we really need. I think about in John 3, verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, For everyone who does evil, they hate the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And Jesus right here will, will, will expose the evil deeds of this lady, her impure way of living, and brings it to light. Why? So that, that she will come to the light. Not just to, to condemn her, uh, like the woman in John 8. He, he's not going and, and saying and joining and throwing the stones, right? He says, no, you without sin, you cast the first stones. No, no he wants this lady to come into the light, and so he touches her at the most vulnerable, sensitive part in her life, and that's her heart and the great need that she had. And obviously, she's been trying to fill her life with other things. And Jesus is coming along to say, hey, I have this living water that can cause your soul to never thirst again. And look what happens next. But, but before we do, I just want to simply ask this question because this lady's going to kind of turn the conversation. But you see these things about Jesus. They're very shocking. Now, they might even be as shocking to us before because we've read it before. It's familiar to us. But, but how amazing this is. He's talking to a woman, right? She's a Samaritan woman. By the way, just, just a little side note, right? Yesterday, as I, I'm reading this text, the whole time as I'm reading it, a song starts going off in my head, and I have no clue why, because I do not like this song, nor listen to this song, nor this kind of music all the time, but you know that song, American Woman? You with me? Dude. So the whole time while I'm reading the rest of this text yesterday morning, Samaritan woman, I'm just like, what? <laughs> what? And then I had to go look up the song as a, as a Canadian band, and the song started making a little sense, and I was like, anyway. <laughs> so here's your job this week. Go write a new song, <laughs> Samaritan woman, and how... Her encounter with Jesus went, and that'd be great. So it was this woman, Samaritan woman, nonetheless. He has no bucket. He, he can offer water so that she'll never thirst again, this living water. Very shocking, and yet she is one of unclean living and one who's a harlot. That, that should cause us to ask, I think it did me yesterday, a question. It, am I still amazed at Jesus? Am I still amazed at who Jesus is? Because this, this is awesome. 
I mean, he breaks down the prejudices. He, he, he crosses those. He goes right through them. I love that about Jesus. I don't care about the cultural prejudices of the day. I'm addressing them right on, and I'm going to meet this lady, and I'm going to talk to her about what she desperately needs, she, her greatest need, and I'm going I'm to share that with her. And I love that. And then look what this lady does, because... I mean, obviously, she's got to feel pretty convicted. She's like, Jesus, have you been reading my mail? Have you been looking at my phone? Have you been reading my email? I mean, how do, how do you know all this? You, you must be a prophet. And so, to change the conversation, she kind of goes academic on him. Look at verse 20. Listen to what the woman says. She says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And so what's interesting is you follow the, the history of the Samaritans, they would worship at Mount Garrison, and that's where they would worship, and they set up a temple uh, for Zeus, and they would worship there while the Jews worshiped in Jerusalem. And, and so she's going back to what, what Jesus would have known, that this, this man is what we would call maybe a Jewish rabbi or whatever. And so that's where she's going. She's going academic with, with, with Jesus. What's cool about this, this lady doesn't run off. Most people would be like, hey, you've got into my junk, my private life, I'm out of here. But she sticks around, but she diverts the conversation. But look what Jesus does next. Look at verse 21. He says, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Isn't it amazing that, that what Jesus was going after the very beginning was, was her heart and really who this lady worships, that it goes there. It, it started with water and it ends with the conversation about worship. And Jesus says, here, listen, it's not about location. It's not about 10 o'clock Sunday morning, Right? I mean, it's part of that. That's part of that. But it's also about 11.30 Sunday morning. It's also about 3 p.m. Sunday. It's also about 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. It's also about 5 p.m. tomorrow night when you're driving home from work. It's about Wednesday. It's about about 24-7. Jesus' point here, hey, listen, it's, it's not a location. It's not a specific time and place. It's, it's a life of worship. That's what it's going to be about. And that's what Jesus is going to point out here. It's, it's not about where, but it's about who and it's about how. It's what Jesus is going to touch on. That's why he says, women, believe me, right? Which that's how he wants her to do. Believe in me. An hour is coming. An hour is coming. What does that mean? An hour is coming. Jesus is going to say this twice to this lady. And what's he talking about? An hour is coming. He's talking about his suffering. He's talking about his death. He's talking about his resurrection. He's talking about his eventual ascension to the Father. And it's so significant because an hour is coming. When that time comes, the time that all the Old Testament is pointing to, all the sacrificial system is pointing to, it's pointing to Jesus. And that hour that is coming is the fullness of everything that was pointing to the reality of who he is and his sacrifice that is once and for all and ultimate for us. And so no longer is it about that system and about location and where, but it is about who and it is about how. That's what worship's about. 
And then look what he says next in verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. So he's saying you, you Samaritans worship what you don't know, right? Because they believe in the first five books of the Old Testament. They don't know the fullness of who God is and expressed in the rest of the Old Testament. The Jews hold dear all of the Old Testament. So that's what his idea here is. You don't know God. The Jews have a glimpse, a better knowledge of who God is. He isn't saying here they know him completely through Christ and accept him as Messiah. He's not going there yet. But what he's saying is, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know the truth of who God is. And so follow what he says next. He says, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is. Again, he uses that phrase. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, will worship the Father in truth, for such the people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And then he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And I want you to see this here, just real simple. This will be our last, last point of the day. It's gonna be a little longer than a normal point maybe, but here's the point what Jesus is making. First thing he says is God is spirit. Who is God? God is invisible. He's immortal. He's divine. We would even say he's he's unknowable. God is unknowable. But what's amazing about this text is is Jesus is there. His presence means everything. And the fact that he says again, an hour is coming means a lot to you and I. Because what this means is this unknowable, invisible, immortal, divine God that is big and greater. We can know him. And that's the point of John's letter. John's letter is, hey, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. But he says the word became flesh and the word dwelt among us. Why? Because the only begotten from God He's the one who has come to explain who God is because he's God in the flesh. And through him and because of his hour that is coming, through his death and through his resurrection, through his ascension, we can now know this invisible, immortal God personally. And so how do we respond to such amazing news? Such shocking news is that Jesus says we can worship him in spirit and in truth. That's a big concept. That's huge. What does that mean? I think the first thing is, is to deal with truth. What is, worship deals with knowing God and who he truly is, the one true God. You see, the Samaritans didn't know. They didn't know the truth of who Jesus was. In fact, they had a, a little bit of knowledge of, of who the God of the Jews were, and, and, and then they brought in this other stuff, and so Jesus doesn't want us to do that, just add this other stuff, this other pagan stuff. He doesn't want us just to have the kind of half knowledge of who God is. He wants to know the fullness of God and who he is, and that's why Jesus came. Jesus is the truth. And so the foundation of our worship is based on truth and it rises out from something you got to know that's so key is this from spiritual life and when you put these things together spirit and truth the whole idea is that there is a spiritual life here 
Bible tells us just on the page over, Jesus encountered a man. His name was Nicodemus. And he told Nicodemus that he had to be born again, that he had to have this new life, spiritual life. And so worship rises from one who has encountered God through Jesus Christ and has this new life, the spiritual life, based on the truth of who God is and how you can know God through Jesus Christ. And then he says this thing, spirit. It's kind of an interesting statement. What's he talking about? This idea of spirit. Back um, when I was a little kid, I used to, around Christmas time, um, at night, on Christmas Eve, I, I used to go in, into my room when I was a little bit older. My parents had put a TV in my room, and uh, I think I was a senior in high school is when that, that happened. And uh, at that time, uh, on Christmas Eve, about 11 or about midnight at night, I, I, would, I remember flipping it on, because you usually stay up a little bit later on Christmas Eve, at least we did in our house. And I would flip it on, and, and on Channel 27, I would always find, this is kind of a tradition that I eventually started doing even in the college, is that, that one channel that just had the fireplace burning. You with me on that? And it had the, the Christmas music playing. You might be thinking, uh, that's weird. You just stared at it. Yeah, I just, that's what I did until I went to sleep. And so I just watched this fireplace burning, just burning. <laughs> there it is. And Christmas music was playing. I, I'm a Christmas junkie, all right? I love Christmas. It's six months and 21 days away, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> But something that was really cool is, is last year we're, we're going through Netflix, and my kids are like, during Christmas time, are going through Netflix movies, and I'm like, hey, what's that? And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, what's that fireplace deal? And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, hey, click on that. And there it was. <laughs> Everything I ever dreamed of. Right, on the <laughs> right there, right there. I want you to think of this, though. The, the fuel is significant to this fire. And for us, when we think about this idea of, of, of spirit, I think what Jesus is doing here, he's engaging the heart. And, and so what does worship look like? Well, first of all, it's the fuel, right? And what's the fuel? It's truth. You can't take truth out of it. You've got to have truth. The next thing I want you to think of is, is, is the only thing I can think of, sorry, it's going to kind of break down the illustration, just apologize, is, is a furnace, right? It's the place where, where the finer fire dwells, where it's at. And what is that? That's, that's our heart. That, that's, that's right here. That's, that's our, our spirit. And what's that, that spirit? It, it, it's who we are. But I want to go back to that in just a second. Okay? So follow with me on this. Okay? Now the third part of that is heat. What comes from a fire is heat. And what is that heat? That heat is worship. That's the expression. That's the response, that's the gratitude, that's the joy, that's the, the thankfulness, that's the overflowing of affections for Jesus throughout the day. That's the heat of our life. But we forgot something. What did we forget? Fire. We forgot fire. And fire is so significant. Because we don't have fire, we ain't got it. What's the fire? I think real simply, fire is the Holy Spirit. Fire is the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit 
is spirit. In fact, I don't, I don't think we can say we, we have a spirit until we truly have the Holy Spirit. According to what Jesus is, we're just, we're just flesh. And, and so for our spirit to, to connect with God and, and to express a life of worship to God, our life must be made alive by the Holy Spirit. And so that the heat of our life would express amazing, appreciative gratitude, joyful worship unto our God each day. It's got to be fueled by the truth. Guys, we've got to be people who are in the word of God, who love the word of God, who behold the beauty and the wonder of the truth of God in our lives. It's the fuel. It's the fuel. So that our heart, our spirit that was made alive by the Holy Spirit would continue to burn and to be renewed daily, daily. So that the heat of our life, the light of our life would be seen. And so that's why Jesus came. That's why he came to this harlot. He came because the Father is seeking true worshipers. Worshippers that are made alive in him. Worshippers that live a life overflowing with joy and gratitude and love and faith and trust in, in God. And so when the disciples came back and they're sitting and they're eating and they didn't bring any food for Jesus. <laughs> Jesus says, hey listen, my food is to accomplish the work and the will of God. And what is that? To make worshippers of the Father. Jesus told the woman, I give you living water, that it may spring up in you, that it may abound. And so my prayer is this, that we would be disciples who have a heart of worship, that we worship God daily in everything we do in spirit and truth, and that it would abound, that, that it would spring up more and more so that others would know our God, and that they would worship him. You see, the harvest is white. It's ready. Jesus is going to tell his disciples that. It was ready this day. Jesus showed us that. There are harlots all around. There are people all around needing to hear the truth and needing to know God and needing to have living water. And it comes from disciples who have hearts of worship 24-7. Let's pray.